We've been thinking all morning that you are a, a living and speaking God, and we praise you for that wonderful truth. And we ask, Lord God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words so many centuries ago, that you would meet with us now in them, and that you would lead us to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you would help us to respond rightly to your voice. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So page 456, then let me read to us from Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hope you'll keep that open in front of you. There's also an, an outline of where we're going on the back of the notice sheet. <clears throat> and even just as we're reading the psalm, you'll see that we're thinking this morning about one of the, the fundamental questions in all spirituality. How does God speak? to us. Um, for many years when I heard people talking about God speaking to them, I didn't grow up as a Christian, I presumed that they could hear some sort of audible voice in their head from God telling them what to do. And I thought if God is there, there could be nothing more attractive than hearing his voice. Who wouldn't want to know the God of everything intimately? Who wouldn't want to walk that closely with them? Uh, with him, that we could hear his voice, we could benefit from his wisdom, we could receive his guidance in life. Uh, there came a point when I was struggling with a decision, I was sitting in a, a quiet room, I was straining desperately to hear God's still small voice as it had been explained to me. I wanted to know what to do. I, I concluded with some sadness, either God had a communication problem or I had a hearing problem because I got absolutely nothing. So how does God speak to us? 
what, what would it be like to hear from him? How would hearing his voice, even this morning, press in and change our hearts and our life? Uh, that is the question that is answered by this famous psalm. The message breaks into two, and then there's some response at the end. In verses 1 to 6, we're taken outside. We look up to the skies, and we meet our Creator. And then in verses 7 to 9, we enter a library. We open a book, and we meet our Redeemer. And the, the two halves are so different that for ages, people thought they must be two different poems that have just been bolted together. Actually, they are a glorious unity. Um, C.S. Lewis said of Psalm 19, it's the greatest poem in the Psalter, and it must be one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And even the structure uh, speaks to us. It announces that the God of creation and the Lord of Israel, revealed in Jesus Christ, are one and the same. That was one of the most fundamental tenets of Old Testament religion, that our Lord is the Lord of all. And as I say here in Psalm 19, we learn both how he speaks and how we respond. And so on the sheet, you'll see two points and two implications. Uh, the first is about what theologians have called general revelation. I've summarized it as in the skies, God speaks to us all. Let me read verse one again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Uh, in St. Paul's Cathedral down in London lies the tomb of Sir Christopher Wren, the architect of that great building. It has a very simple inscription on it. It's a very simple stone tomb. And the inscription says, reader, if you seek his monument, then look around you. And Psalm 19 says something very similar about God. You walk outside, you open your eyes, you look up, and everything you see testifies to the greatness and glory of God. Uh, if it's a clear day, we've had one or two just lately, so you might be able to relate to this, uh, you'll see that amazingly rich blue as the, the light refracts through the ionosphere. If it's not quite so clear, typically up here, you can play that game of looking at the clouds and trying to spot which animal they look like. Up here in the summer, you might get a bolt of lightning. That's always uh, exciting. That carries with it, I, I looked up, 5,000 billion joules of energy, uh, enough energy to toast 100,000 slices of bread. Well, the next time you go out at night, uh, if you look up at the sky, apparently if there's a clear night, not too much light pollution going on, just with your naked eye, you'll be able to count out two or 3,000 stars. Uh, you get a good pair of binoculars, a lot of patience. You could count to 200,000. Small telescope, you'll get to 15 million. In total, they reckon that there are 170 billion galaxies each of them has within it at least 100 billion stars. The scale of the heavens is beyond vast, isn't it? And David's point is that day after day, night after night, like the, the bubbling water of a never-ending stream, uh, stream even, the skies are declaring to everybody everywhere 
that God is amazing, that he is glorious, and his power is eternal. The skies don't actually speak, of course. If you hold up a microphone, you're not going to be able to record what they are saying. But, says David, they, they still declare that the fact of their existence proclaims. And what is true of the skies is true of the sun in particular. Verse 4 says, In them he set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Uh, I've told some of you before, I'm not a huge fan of camping. Um, I, one definition of camping I came across, the act of spending a small fortune for the privilege of living like you're homeless. It doesn't appeal to me very much, but some of you are crazy enough to enjoy eating bad food and uh, sleeping badly and waking up with a bad back. But the joy these days, I'm told, you don't have to spend hours with poles and uh, the whole thing collapsing. You can get these pop-up tents. You just chuck them up in the air, and by the time they've come down, everything is the way that it should be. David says, the night sky, those trillions and trillions of stars, just like a, a tent that God has casually tossed into the sky, so that at the end of his working day, the sun can have a little nap uh, before he gets up early tomorrow morning to go back to work. It's not meant to be a scientific explanation. It's poetry, and it conveys its message brilliantly. And what a sight the sun is as it rises in the morning and begins its daily voyage across the sky. People around here, some of them make a habit of getting up to take early to take pictures of it and post them on social media. It's glorious. However great Callum looks tomorrow morning as he comes out of his chamber, the sun will be even more <laughs> glorious than that, we are confident of. It will be majestic, like a, an athlete sprinting across the sky. Every day, another lap of honor. Told if, the, if you turn the sun off today, if you could do that, within six months, the whole world would be a big ice cube. But for now, we can live because nothing is hidden from its heat. And the point of the psalm is very simple. The, the children's song goes, I don't know if you it came to mind this week, the sun has got his hat on, hip, 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 hooray. Really, it should be, the sun has got his hat on, hip, 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 hallelujah. There were loads of people in David's day who worshipped the sun. David's not saying, the sun's amazing, worship it. He's saying, the sun is great, worship God. Because if the sun and the stars are that glorious, that wonderful, how much more glorious and wonderful the one who put them there. Our first point then, the, in the skies, God speaks to us all. The, the world around us was created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. And here we're being told it reveals God's glory, his utter weighty reality. Uh, other Bible passages use the same argument to list more qualities of God that are made known through creation. In Acts 14, we're told that the the food on our plates, the joy in our hearts, they testify to God's kindness and his goodness. 
In Romans 1, we're told that creation reveals to all people everywhere God's eternal power and his divine nature. And God's purpose in putting us in such a wonderful world is that we would be led to thank and to worship him. When we walk on the West Sands, we're not only meant to think about how stunning the view is, but about how glorious our God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if that's God's purpose, you don't need me to tell you that's not always the effect. There are plenty of people, aren't there, that marvel at the world around them. Said David Attenborough, chief among them, I guess. He's earned, we're told, 30 million pounds telling us how great the world is. But it hasn't led him to believe in God. So the question that would come would be, if the skies really do speak so profoundly and continuously and loudly of the glory of God, then why are so many deaf to their message? Why doesn't everyone believe? Uh, the Bible's answer comes in Romans chapter 1. It's such a crucial passage. I thought we'd turn there together briefly this morning. So might you flick on with me, please, to page 939 in the Bible's Romans chapter 1. And just on the right-hand column there on page 939, I'm going to read from verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So you see, creation does speak. The problem is that by nature we refuse to listen, uh, that, that rather than glorifying God and giving thanks to him. People everywhere by nature choose to suppress the truth that God is revealing to us. And so, as Paul says, our thinking becomes futile, our hearts become darkened, and verse 25 says we end up worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. Uh, the image that springs to mind is that of a small child and the father is talking, but the son has his fingers in his ears and uh, his eyes closed, and he's chanting, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Nothing wrong with the father's communication. His words might be kind and gentle and full of blessing. But the child won't listen, and the result, says Paul in verse 20, by nature, we're all without excuse. So we've got this funny dynamic going on where the skies speak but they can't save. And if anyone in the world is to know God, that means we need God to do something new. We need somehow God to speak words of saving life to us. And wonderfully, that's exactly what he's done in the person of his son and in the scriptures that testify to him. So if you come back with me to Psalm 19, back on page 456, it's our second point. It's what people have called special revelation in the scriptures the Lord speaks to his people. And as I read, notice both the nature 
and the power of God's word. Um, when David wrote, he had just the first five books of the Bible in mind, probably the Jewish Torah, but his words apply much more broadly as well to the rest of the Bible. So let's read from verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And the nature of God's word is clear all the way through, isn't it? It's perfect. Uh, because it's not just man's best thoughts about God, but is God's word to us. And so it reflects his character. It's flawless, without fault, not a wasted word. It's true, as dependable as God himself. It's right, it's clean, it's sure, it's righteous. You, you can't claim that about any other words in the world um, politicians speak to us and they want us to, to hang on their words and to believe that everything they're saying is true. Uh, we don't always believe them. Academics strive perf for perfection, but try as they might, they know that even their greatest works aren't flawless. But the Bible is, is error-free. Every word is perfect as the God who inspired it. That's why it must always be the supreme authority in the faith and the conduct of the church. It's not progressive to reject God's word, it's unbelief. And what is so sad is that if we ever do set aside God's word like that, we miss out on his power at work within us. Glance again to see all that God's word accomplishes from verse 7. It revives the soul, makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart, gives light to the eyes. There's so much blessing that God wants to pour into our life by his spirit and through his word. Blessing that isn't available anywhere else. True life and wisdom and joy and light for our path. I was thinking about alternative places we might be tempted to look in life for the, the fruit that God's word here promises, if I want to be revived, I might think I need a holiday or a spa day or some time away. If I want wisdom, I need a therapist or to read a, a good book. If I want joy, I need a relationship or a spending spree. If I want direction, I need good advice. And of course, there's nothing wrong with books and holidays and relationships and therapists. I'm looking forward to going away on holiday with my family this summer and reading some books. But there is a question, isn't there, of when I'm weary, when I'm low, where do I turn? And am I fully aware of the good that God wants to do in me through his word, the Bible, as he speaks to me in it? And when I'm reading the Bible or when I'm hearing it taught, am I prayerful? Am I attentive? Am I intentional? Am I asking God to work this deeply in my soul and to produce this fruit in me? It'd be pointless, wouldn't it, just to sit there and not to meet with God. But so often we just go through the motions. We started with the question, how does God speak? 
And our psalm says, well, in the skies, God speaks to us all. But because we suppress that truth, we're without excuse. And so in the scriptures, the Lord speaks the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And he gives us the life and joy and wisdom and light that we need as we receive his word. And we might expect this wonderful poem to end there, but instead, in verses 10 to 14, the tone changes a bit, and David starts responding personally to the things that he's just written. As he does that, he's modeling for us the way that we should respond to our speaking and saving God as well. So we'll end with these two uh, applications. First, to treasure God's word. Treasure God's word. Verse 10. The scriptures are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. That's the point that was made in the coronation service again as it's been made every once in 1689, I think. There's the king wearing a crown worth millions of pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds. He's handed a Bible. Uh, by the moderator of the Church of Scotland. He's told, this book is the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. So the Bible can't buy you an island in the Caribbean for your holiday. But you, you read the gospel of Jesus Christ. You trust in him. And you receive something that money cannot buy. Life in relationship with God himself. Because we come to know the God who made the stars as our Father. And we receive an eternal life that cannot be taken away from us, even by death itself. That's why it was good for us to pray that prayer together earlier. Why I often pray that one of the defining marks of our church and many other churches in our town and land would be that we wouldn't just study the Bible, but that we would treasure it, that we would love it, tremble before it, we'd enjoy its honey-like sweetness. Because the way we respond to God's word is a direct picture of the way we're responding to God himself. Uh, if it's up on the shelf, gathering dust, that's my attitude to God right there. So let's treasure God's word. And second, let's obey it. I wonder if, like me, you ever find it possible to be a little bit dry about Bible study, um, to be in the same room as a sermon or a life group study, but to, to be disengaged from it, or to, to hear God speak, but then for us to, to pray to him about what we've heard to be little more than an afterthought. If this is true of God's word, then, then Bible study can never just be a, a head exercise, can it? That would just be dead legalistic Phariseeism. Instead, we should turn to God's word like newborn infants. We should be desperate to feed on its truth. We should be eager to be taught and corrected. We should long to be trained in righteousness and to live in obedience to what we're hearing. Verse 11 says, in keeping the scriptures, there is great reward. And David's uh, King David here, God's King David, is a great model for us. 
Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a, it's a very intuitive response, isn't it? It's not forced on him. It's not commanded. It's just a natural outpouring uh, of his heart in response to God's word. And you can feel the strength of his desire. Um, we know that David didn't always live up to his own ideals, but this is him at his best. And he wanted to be obedient to his father. If he was tempted to drift off course, he wanted the scriptures to warn him and to keep him on the right path. And he didn't just want some outward righteousness. He, he didn't want to cling to some hidden sin. He wanted to be shaped by God's word in such a way that he would be declared innocent in the eyes of God. Um, that word hidden in, is the same as the word in verse 6, just as the, the heat of the sun gets into every nook and cranny and brings warmth and life. So David's longing is that the, the light of God's word would get into every nook and cranny of his soul and bring life and warmth and the fruit of righteousness. So again, it is best. He wasn't the guy who sits in church on a Sunday nodding along and then goes out and lives the opposite. He knew the nature and the power of God's word, the value of it, and so he wanted to be a doer rather than just a hearer of it. It's summarized beautifully in that line that we often hear in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We'll see, I'm sure, how this presses home for us. The logic's in, intuitive, isn't it? That the author of the Bible, we know him to be God himself, the one who made the stars, the world, and everything in it. He speaks in the scriptures. We know its perfection. We know its power. So we value it, and we set ourselves to obey it in the strength of the Holy Spirit who helps us. The question then for us all to reflect on individually together as a church family is, is this how we listen to God's word? Do we allow it to warn us like this? Do we welcome its rebukes? Do we let it seep into and shape every nook and cranny of life? Do we long to be found godly? May God help us by his spirit. Just one more detail as we close. Uh, you'll see in verse 13 there, David says, then I shall be blameless. Um, we've said, if you've been with us, if you're new, this may pass you by a little bit, don't worry too much about that, but we've said that this collection of Psalms, 15 to 24, is structured like a, a big sandwich, 15 and 24 on the outside match each other, then 16 and 23, and so on, all the way in, and uh, this Psalm is right in the, the middle of that sandwich, and the question that shapes the outside ed the edge, the bread, if you like, of the Psalm is what we call the most important question of all. O oh Lord, who will be allowed to dwell in your perfect heavenly home forever? Who gets to live with God forever in his perfect new creation that his king, the Lord Jesus, would come to establish and die so that we might be invited into it? 
Who gets to live with him? And the answer of Psalm 15 was, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. And one issue that that raised was, okay, if that's what it takes, how could I ever become blameless? And right here in the middle of the sandwich, Psalm 19 is the answer to that question. Because looking at the stars won't make you blameless. But rightly hearing and responding to what the scriptures tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for you leaves you blameless in the sight of God. Uh, David didn't do that perfectly. We don't either. But Jesus did. As we've been thinking, he's the living word. He's the, the perfect, he's the forever king for which David is just a shadow. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, to, but to fulfill them. And uh, he obeyed his father perfectly, even to the point of death on the cross. And so his gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes anyone and everyone. And so it's in him and because of him that we can pray verse 14 with confidence. He is our Lord. If we've trusted in him, he is our rock for everything in life. He's our redeemer. And as we trust in him, so the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts can be acceptable in the sight of the one who made everything and who saves all who trust in him. Let's pray together. We do rejoice that you are a speaking God, our almighty creator. We would be in the dark without you. And so we praise you for um, the creation all around us that proclaims the skies, the heavens above us that testify to your greatness, your power, your eternal nature. And we're very grateful that though we don't listen to their voice as we should, though by nature we're left without excuse, that you continue to speak and that you sent your son, the living word, the Lord Jesus, to speak words of life to anyone who would receive them. We praise you for him. We ask that you would help us to trust in him and so to be blameless in your sight. And we ask that you would help us day by day to treasure your word as we should and to live in obedience to it, to be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus so that our words and even the thoughts of our hearts might be pleasing to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.